Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Brian Daniel. Brian gives leadership to the adult curriculum teams at LifeWay. So, Brian, thank you for being with us today. It's great to be back. Do we say we'll back be looking, in a virtual setting? Do we say back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can be back in a virtual setting. Right. Okay. Just making sure. We're going to be looking at session 10 of our study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We're looking at 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. So we're starting our study here of 2nd Thessalonians. The summary statement for this lesson is that Christ enables believers to persevere with faithfulness. The outline follows these three points, thankful, avenged, and worthy. Thankful comes from verses 3 and 4, where Paul expressed his thankfulness to God for the growing faith and love of the Thessalonian believers. He held them up to other believers as examples, knowing they endured persecution. For us, we can walk away with the idea that we can thank God for the examples set by faithful believers. The second point, avenged, comes to verses 5 and 10, through 10. In these verses, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that their endurance showed the power of God. He assured them that they would see justice and relief at the return of Jesus. For us, the main point is to understand that true justice will be established at the return of Jesus. The last point, verses 11 and 12, we've entitled worthy. In these verses, Paul shared his prayer that his readers would be worthy of Christ's calling and would bring honor to Jesus through their good works. The main point for us is that bringing honor to Jesus should be the goal of all believers. So we have some critical issues in this passage. We have the issue of real persecution or the role of persecution, justice and judgment. One of the things that keeps coming up here, Brian, in these verses, and it's in verse five, it's in verse 11, he talks about being worthy. Uh, in verse five, he says that, that we may be counted worthy of God's kingdom. And in verse 11, in his prayer for the church, for this group of believers, he says that in view of this, we always pray for you that God will make you worthy of his calling. How should we avoid the teaching that we might deserve persecution and that somehow that persecution makes us worthy? And if we haven't been persecuted, we're not worthy, or, or should we avoid that, that conversation in our group time? Dwayne, don't you think that we have to account for this kind of thing? And it, it does, to some extent, roll up under the, the broader category of, I've heard it articulated as good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people. I mean, don't we, you have to account for it, I think, in any, in any such discussion, because I think that's, that's the practical question that's on everybody's mind. Well, and these folks were being persecuted. They were enduring lots of stuff. So it makes sense that, that Paul would address them this way. Uh, one of my favorite books I've read is A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It is uh, it's written by D.A. Carson. I think it's been re-released under uh, Praying with Paul, which is the new title. So in that book, and I think this is helpful here, uh, Carson says, but Paul never thinks that we are called by God because we deserve it. How could he? He knew that it was while he was busily persecuting the church and trying to destroy it that God intervened and called him by his grace. So Paul is not here praying that the Thessalonians might somehow become worthy enough to be called. Rather, 
since these Thessalonians are Christians, they have already been called. And now Paul prays that they might live up to that calling. So I, I think it's an important distinction to point out that in this season of persecution that the church is in, that it's not a matter of uh, whether you are called or not. You are, and you were not worth it, but you have been. And so then the charge becomes to live up to that, to live up to this calling. And so what does that mean? Well, Dwayne, it cannot mean anything less than we should become increasingly holy, self-denying, loving, full of integrity, steeped in the knowledge of God and His Word, uh, delighted to trust and obey our Heavenly Father. So I don't know just in, in terms of like answering the question, but in terms of the group discussion, that's where I would steer the conversation is more in a matter of let's, let's not skirt the matter of persecution and what that means in our discipleship and our calling. But let's rather look at what it means to be called and live up to that calling because you've been, you've been called out of a prior life and into a new life. So essentially, I think here, don't we just say, act like it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, a, you know, if you put on somebody's jersey and it's got their name on the back, then the expectation is you are a fan of that person or of that team, at least, or something. I, I've always wondered what it would be like to be somebody who's had their, had their jersey with your name, you know, my name on it, that people were buying, and then I saw them committing a crime. My inclination would be my first thing would go and say, listen, that's not, I don't want you wearing my jersey doing that because that's not who I am. That's not what I'll be a part of. That would, that would uh, go against everything I believe. So I would expect, I know there's not a way to do this, but there's a part of me that would say, hey, if you want to wear my jersey with my name, these are the expectations I have for you to have that privilege of wearing my jersey with my name and not be just flattered that any and everybody's got my jersey with my name, but that there's standards that come with that name. And I would like for you to meet those standards. And I, I see that here uh, in what you're saying too, is that God saved us. We've been saved through faith in Christ. We don't deserve it, but because of what Christ has done, now we have the opportunity to live up to that name, even though we don't deserve that privilege to live up to that name. And I think we've both been a part of exchanges about deserving and I think we've both probably been in conversations to where we felt like that someone was um, proud of some sort of persecution and that somehow that that meant or was indicative of a of a greater discipleship or a deeper relationship. And I think that's also something that may come up. So, you know, the question about what we deserve and, and what we don't deserve in a depraved world, I think it, the gloves are kind of off, aren't they? So, yeah, I don't I think the way I would respond to that in the group is I what we deserve and don't deserve is almost immaterial to to the, the the greater calling that we have and whatever that entails yeah so the question would be uh would be more along the lines of are you being faithful to god period doesn't matter whether you're being persecuted or not it's just are you being faithful to him implicit here may also be you know we've and i probably said it i just want to know what god's will for my life is a lot of times when we're in a decision-making process, making a big decision, whatever that is, we're tempted to ask or to wonder what God's will here is. And I would say, I would say to that, we already know what His will is, and that is to know and obey His commands for us. It's really, it really is that easy. And so, again, to the calling, 
to obey his commands. That's what it means to live up. That, that's what it means to live in a manner worthy of this calling. Now, in this passage, in the middle of it, he talks about that they would be avenged for their persecution, that that would happen at the return of Christ. A question that comes up at that point is this question, and that is, is it really a comfort knowing that those who persecute you, they get theirs in eternity, but it doesn't happen until then? I mean, I, I don't know that we should get comfort there. I, I think if you if there's comfort to be had in this context, it's that justice is done, and that God and that God is the arbiter of justice. Um, but my daughter and my wife and I were talking about this just in the last couple of days. It's the idea of the Imago Dei and the fact that we all bear God's image equally and we all should be treated with honor. Now that doesn't, you know, I, I think we have to be discerning in, in what that means, but we have to be honoring of those around us and those that think different from us, those that look different from us, uh, and to live our lives with 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 the with the appropriate level of grace and understanding and I don't know about you Dwayne but one of the harder one of the more challenging things about me is to always think the best of people um until you know until given a compelling reason not to and even then I think we have to we still have to work through the imago day aspect of this so is it really a comfort knowing that those who persecute us get theirs in eternity now, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that we should be comforted by that in and of itself. Again, no, I think it's, a, you know, any question that sparks uh, conversation is, is ultimately a pretty good prompt. But I do think that this has more to do with the comfort and that God's and that justice. Justice is one of those great big words like atonement, like redemption that cover a lot of ground. And I think, uh, at least for me, it is to fully understand what these words mean within the context of, of theological implication and uh, the biblical narrative, I believe that we understand these increasingly in the, in the, on the journey of being a disciple in new, better, and more profound ways. So I think this is ultimately a question of justice and how we feel about God, God's justice, which is a capital letter J, whereas everything in our own world is a lowercase letter J, if I could if I could put it that way. I don't know. What do you think? Well, another way to look at that same issue, Paul is calling on these people to endure a challenging time, and that's enduring at the hands of persecution. If you know that there's going to be a day when you're not going to have persecution, then you can endure the other stuff. If you know there's a day that's not going to be a part of your life, then you just have to figure out how to get through that part so you can get to the other part. And there's a part of me that when I'm reading this, uh, thinking about someone being in the middle of persecution when they received this letter, thinking along those lines of is, is, is I can endure this as long as I know it's not forever. If there's a day it stops, then I'm okay with that. And we would, we would want to, I would want to, my carnal part of me says, well, I'd like to have the vengeance. I'd like to know they get theirs. Of course. Yeah. But that's not what I should live for. What I should live for is knowing that I'm faithful to God, regardless of whether they get theirs or not. Because there is a possibility that some of those folks who were persecuting them could, be, could have become believers before their time on earth was up. So I may be sitting here thinking, I'm gonna, I, I, I can hardly wait for the day you get yours. 
and miss the opportunity to share the gospel with that person and for them to become a brother in Christ. And then I get to heaven and I'm disappointed because they're standing there with me because they accepted Christ, even though that's somebody who's persecuted me. I, I had a conversation with someone the other day about, about this scenario. Paul walks into heaven. Okay, so Paul gets into heaven. He walks through the pearly gates, and the first person to greet him was Stephen. What would that conversation have been like for Paul to have stepped into those pearly gates knowing that the person who greeted him was a person he sit and watched die and have a vision of who Christ was? And we were having that conversation in the sense of, could that be Paul's thorn in the flesh? The thing that, he, that bothered him the most was the folks that he had persecuted and who he had overseen their execution prior to his conversion. And the dynamics of that when he's in heaven, knowing if he knows that, seeing the people around him, who some of whom he had executed. I could understand that being a difficult thing to accept the rest of his life, knowing that that's what waited for him on the other side. So I think we've got to be careful when we ask questions like this, or if this comes up to the, 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 the conversation, is, well, you know, that person who persecuted me, they're going to get theirs. Well, for Stephen, what Paul got was a place in, in the kingdom with him. So I think we've, we've got to think beyond what that person gets and more of what God's bigger plan is in this process. And, uh, and, and Paul says, and Paul says in, his, in, in these letters to the, to the church that we can't do that apart from Jesus. Mm -hmm. We are incapable of that kind of distinction. So like you said, you've got to do some self-talk and realize what's the carnal, fleshy, depraved nature and what is the, the redeemed aspect of your nature and, and which is which. And to focus on those, you get into some of the Philippians, meditate on these things in that respect. But our, our text is uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. And um, if, you look at, if you look at that verse uh, at, the, at the last at the last verse, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, it's about finishing the race well. That's the goal. It's really not about the other guy. Yeah, it's about us finishing well. Which is the comfort that, uh, that we that, uh, will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith. That's the way uh, verse 11 ends. So, uh, I think it's a really good discussion, and I would encourage everyone to be honest. Uh, or the I just as as the group leader, I would say, all right, let's let's be honest here. Let's let's not give let's not give our patented answers. Let's talk about how we really feel because we've all been there. It's a tough ask. It's a very yeah. tough ask. This is the second letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, we've been spending the past two months looking at the first letter, and now we've come to the second letter. We've got some of the same themes. Um, we're going to see issue of the second coming come up, the day of the Lord, dealing with persecution like we see here in this passage. Why a second letter to this church in Thessalonica? And how is it different from the first one? Is it different? For whatever reason, I love these kinds of conversations. I, I know they're academic. I know they're scholarly. In the end, those conversations are not quite as transformational or maybe not transformational at all as some of the more emotive and, and provocative questions. Uh, but that is a really, that is, it's one of the questions that, that the scholars have asked over, over the centuries is when you compare these two letters. And so clearly, uh, first, 
Thessalonians is written in a time expecting Jesus' return, the parousia, at any time. And that's an indicative of, of most Pauline writing, right? So the question is, how soon, and I think you, Dwayne, you would argue for a pretty soon writing, or a, is yeah. that the right way to put this? A yeah. fairly, Within a year. Yeah, a fairly quick writing of the second letter after the first one. And I I think that's some of the debate. I think most people land there, but there is there are some scholarly circles that think it was a bit longer. So, But the second one was clearly written at a time to where the Perugia was not quite as imminent, or the feeling was, or he's writing it. And I think this is the more popular view is that he's writing this as a, oh, no, no, no. I think you misunderstood some of the intent of the first letter. You need to get settled in. This is uh, this is something you're going to have to endure. And he's championing the idea or the sentiment of endurance and perseverance for for like we just said, for the sake of the glory of God. This is what we do. This is how you live worthy of this calling. And so depending on how you read it, but I think it's a really interesting dynamic here as to what's going, what's going on within the mind of Paul. He's showing his pastor's heart here for this church to make sure they understand, number one, what's important to him, and number two, what's important to God, and how do you live in light of the promised return of Christ? You know he's coming back, and it could be any moment, so does that give you the freedom to just blow off everything in life and not do anything? Does that does that change what you do today and tomorrow where it, where, Hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to put everything on the credit card and I don't have to worry about it because we, we, well, he's coming back tomorrow and it, I don't have to worry about it. I see tendencies of ourselves in this too, where we need to study chapter first Thessalonians. Think about what questions we would have from it. And then look at how we find those answers in second Thessalonians. Cause they're probably going to be there because they're the same questions the Thessalonians had in response to what he saw in first Thessalonians. Apparently the, the, the church is doing a lot of things right because he, he's very commending of them. And so you look at, you look at this second letter it, and, and Dwayne, I would ask you, I mean, is it more corrective? Is it more uh, corrective meaning I'm coming in behind my first letter just to be sure that there is the rightful understanding. Is it more of a sequel uh, to where it, it is a follow-up or, is it purely a, a standalone? I think it's important as you as you take on this study, as you move from First Thessalonians to Second Thessalonians, that you have understanding of what you're engaging in terms of uh, the context. And those are the three options you would see. I don't know that Paul intended to write a second letter, so the third option for me is out. So either did it in response to or is a sequel, um, and you could argue either way because the themes are so similar. Uh, I do. I would think, obviously, based on you know what you and I have talked about before, is that this is a response to, and it'd be similar to someone teaching something, and then someone comes up to you after classes, you know, well, here's what I heard. So in the next class period, you say, well, you know, we're going to revisit what we did last week because we've got to, uh, we've got to clarify some things that I just may not have expressed as clearly, or you may have heard different, or somebody else came in and messed with you. Uh, which is what most people think. Somebody came in and messed with them and and uh, tried to confuse them. And Paul's trying to fix what was being falsely taught to them. But so, not getting too much into the the weeds of church history, but not to the extent of the church at Corinth in that respect. Yeah, the church yeah, at Corinth yeah, had not, 
much more major issues, whereas what, Dwayne, I think what you're saying here is this would have been something that would have made its way back to Paul and it would have prompted just a reaction. But that's why this is so much different than some of the letters to the church at Corinth. Let me put it that way. Or this, or like the letters to Timothy. Those are very different, too, in their scope and what he's trying to address. They feel like one's not a sequel to the other, you know, or, or anticipating the other. Well, in this one, you can see how the response would be there because of that. Um, one thing that, that I'm going to do with this particular lesson is, since this is going to be May 8th, uh, the suggested use date, it's close to graduation for a lot of people. The class I teach at, at my church, where is most, almost everybody in the group is 50-year-old. We've got somebody in college or somebody in, in maybe in high school. Uh, we're going to look at the idea of of what it takes to celebrate graduation, coming to the end of something like that. Because we know there's going to be some opportunities for, in my class, there'll be some opportunities for kids to celebrate uh, their, their completion of their education or part of their education and the celebration involved with that. And the joy of coming to the end of knowing you endured that. And for some people, that piece of paper put in their hand means something different than it does for the person behind it. They may have had more struggles. They may have more challenges. It's the same piece of paper, but it has marked significance uh, that's different from one person to another. And use that then to transition into this conversation. We're being asked to be worthy, but that badge of worthy has different significance for different people because of the, what they were called or asked to do as a part of being worthy. Their obedience required a little bit different something than this other person. This person may view this person's obedience one way, but this person may view the other person's obedience in a different way. Both of them are equal in that they obeyed, but they have a different character when they're handed that certificate that says you were worthy. And so for me, that's the way I'm gonna introduce this lesson for us to think through. It's a way to bring it into a little bit of the time period where we are. Uh, with graduation right here upon us and to have that kind of conversation with the group that I lead. So that's one idea I have for how I'm going to introduce this class or this session. It's a little bit different than what's in the book, but it's a good way for me to tie it into what's happening. Uh, are there any other key ideas, thoughts you would share about this passage, Brian, before we go? I, no, I would just add to just the whole, the whole discussion of worthy is just fascinating in this context that you you have already, we have already been singled out as being worthy of this calling. And so the gap that's there is only between our current state and that calling. And so um, we already have the path before us and that is to be obedient as Duane has said. So act like it, act like the disciple that you have already been named, the Jersey, you already have the name on the Jersey. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners out there about extra. We identify a current news event and describe a way of using that news event to introduce and conclude the group time. The file is free and you can find these ideas on the Explore the Bible website by typing the following in your web browser. GoExploreTheBible.com forward slash leader extras. That's GoExploreTheBible.com forward slash leader extras. Thank you for listening to us today. We hope you encourage other teachers to tune in next week. We'll be looking at session 11 we'll be looking at second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 and the main point there is that believers live in light of god's promises mm -hmm.